I've got a question for you tonight. What if you find yourself living in the wrong story? What do you do? I thought I'd start tonight with a very familiar story. You, you probably already know this story. I've got it right here with me in a children's book. It's called Goldilocks and the Three... No. Goldilocks and the Three Dinosaurs. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there were three dinosaurs. Papa Dinosaur, Mama Dinosaur, and some other dinosaur who happened to be visiting from Norway. On no day, for no particular reason for all, at all, on this day, the three dinosaurs made up their beds, they positioned their chairs just so, and cooked three bowls of delicious chocolate pudding at various temperatures. Oh boy, said Papa Dinosaur in his loud booming voice. It's finally time to leave and go to the, uh, someplace else. <laughs> yes, continued Mama Dinosaur. And I sure hope no innocent, succulent little child happens by our unlocked home while we are, uh, someplace else. Then the other dinosaur made a loud noise. It sounded like a big evil laugh, but was probably just a polite Norwegian expression. So the three dinosaurs went someplace else and were definitely not hiding in the woods waiting for an unsuspecting kid to come by. Sure enough, five minutes later, a poorly supervised little girl named Goldilocks came traipsing along. Just then, the forest boomed with what could have been a dinosaur yelling, Gotcha! but I'm pretty sure it was just the wind. The loud noise was immediately followed by another loud noise that sounded kind of like, be patient, Papa Dinosaur, the trap has not yet sprung. But that could have been a rock falling or maybe a squirrel. Either way, Goldilocks was not the type of little girl who listened to anything or anyone. For example, Goldilocks never listened to warnings about the dangers of barging into strange, enormous houses. So as soon as Goldilocks came across a strange, enormous house, she barged right in. Inside, Goldilocks immediately smelled three bowls of delicious chocolate pudding. Mmm, said Goldilocks. That chocolate pudding smells delicious. If I could only get all the way up to the top of that counter... Then Goldilocks noticed a very tall ladder that just happened to be there and certainly wasn't left there on purpose. Goldilocks climbed up the ladder and found herself face to face with three gigantic bowls of chocolate pudding. The first bowl of chocolate pudding was too hot. But Goldilocks ate it all anyway because, hey, it's chocolate pudding, right? The second bowl of chocolate pudding was too cold. But who cares about temperature when you've got a big bowl of chocolate pudding? Not her. The third bowl of chocolate pudding was just right. But Goldilocks was on such a roll by now, she hardly noticed. Soon, Goldilocks was stuffed. Like one of those delicious chocolate-filled little girl bonbons, which, by the way, are totally not the favorite things in the whole world for a hungry dinosaur. So tired and groggy... Goldilocks noticed three chairs in the living room. She climbed down the ladder and walked out of the kitchen. The first chair was too tall. The second chair was too tall. But the third chair 
was too tall. Goldilocks wasn't going to climb that high just to sit in some chair, so she hiked over to the bedroom. When she got there, Goldilocks noticed that the beds were also gigantically big. What's going on around here, groaned the exhausted girl. The bears that live here must be nuts. Just then, the room filled with a loud, booming noise that was either a passing truck or a dinosaur gloating, <laughs> a few more minutes and she'll be asleep. Delicious chocolate-filled little girl bonbons are yummier when they're rested. And we'll get back to the rest of the story here in just a minute. I love stories. I've always loved stories. When I was in the fifth grade, my favorite textbook in the fifth grade was the geography textbook. It was this massive textbook. It stood this tall and this wide, and it was filled with maps and continents and oceans and explorers and all this kind of stuff. And I loved that book because I could set it up on my desk, and behind it I could hide my Hardy Boys mystery novel. And the teacher would look back at me, and she would see just over the top of the book these eyes that looked engaged, and she thought, oh, I've got another little Magellan in the making here. Little did she know I had left her classroom a long time ago and was deeply engaged with the Hardy Boys in solving the next crime. Stories. Stories. The world is made up of stories, all kinds of stories. Stories, Donald Miller says, a story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Donald Davis, a great Appalachian Mountain storyteller, he says that you don't have a story until somebody gets in trouble, like Goldilocks in the home of hungry dinosaurs who like chocolate-filled little girl bonbons. He also says that stories always end in one of three ways. We get help, we learn something, or we continue to live in the trouble and the story becomes a tragedy. So I ask you tonight, how's your story going? The story that you're living out and living into, how's it going? As I observe humans, it appears to me that a lot of us don't like the story that we're in at all. We're looking for a different story to live in rather than our own. I think that's why reality TV is so popular these days. You pick an amazing race pair and you go with them to places you'd never take yourself to. Yeah, you go, uh, you get a, uh, an outwitting member of a tribe and hope to win Survivor. That's my story. I live in it from week to week, waiting to see what this person did the next week. Or we tune in to the Kardashians or the real housewives of Atlanta. We croon our song on The Voice or American Idol. We dance to stardom on Dancing with the Stars, tossed into the air by a professional who graces us in the imagination of our own mind. I, I'm that good. I could do that. We become the bachelor or the bachelorette who doesn't have to trouble ourselves with the messy work of dating. You just pick one. Or if reality TV doesn't do it for us, we find our life lived out with a sports team. We buy the logo, we wear it, we follow it on Twitter, we know the one loss record, we know every uh, we know the averages. We just uh, we we just get wrapped up in that particular story, and in the in-between seasons when we have no team to live through, we find somehow our lives are just not quite there. Or we follow important people on Twitter, believing that somehow my life is more valuable if I know 
that right this very moment, Taylor Swift is eating pizza. Ooh. And we find ourselves wrapped up in those stories. Or we veg out on all the YouTube stories that you can sit there for hour upon end and flip through and hit the play button and you see it. We have all these ways to live in a different story. It's a whole lot easier to tag along in somebody else's story than to actually confront the trouble in our own story. Now, of course, there are those who get trapped in their own story. They have cast themselves in the role of an unwilling victim. They don't like the scenes that they appear in. They certainly don't like the lines they have to say or the co-stars that they share the stage with. Everything that happens to them is some, uh, it's someone else's fault. Everything that is asked of them is unfair and unreasonable. Everything that is done to them is intentional. The world is against them, and their story is tragic. They don't want to get out of their story. They just want to suck the whole world around them into their story and say to everyone else, don't pay attention to anything else because my story is so tragic that I'm the only thing you ought to be paying attention to. But, of course, we've never been that person. Why do we wrestle so with our story? Why do we have a hard time being at home in our own story? Why do we struggle to own the plot that we find ourselves in? I think I know. Because every one of us here on this lot tonight and everyone listening on a radio station, we want our lives to be interesting. We really do want our lives to be interesting. And right there may be our problem. We prefer that our lives are interesting to actually the hard work of investing in our story to confront the trouble that is in it. Jurgen Moltmann, great theologian, says, to be human is to be interested, to be curious, to be invested, inquisitive, engaged, interested. And the raw material for great stories is all around us. God the Creator has filled this world with all the raw material that we need for the greatest stories ever told. He gives us ideas and music and places and conversations and wisdom and needs and challenges and people that are around us. This is our God who liberates and can make all things new and he invites us into story making with our own life. And so I have to ask my good friends from time to time, are you interested enough in your story and the trouble that's in it to get out of adultery and into faithfulness? Are you interested enough to leave greed and go toward generosity? Are you ready to stop blaming as the storyline that you're living and start taking responsibility as the storyline you're living? Are you ready to move from excuses to action, from selfishness to service, from nominal Christianity to genuine likeness to Jesus Christ? You see, lots of us are living in the wrong story. And while we want our life to be interesting, we're not invested enough to make the change that might be necessary with that. I'm thinking tonight of a guy named Saul of Tarsus. He's the hero of the book of Acts. 
He was a fierce opponent to Jesus and the followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, he's the guy in the book of Acts that held the coats of the first Christian martyr while they stoned Stephen. And then after that, he went and got permission from religious authorities to go city to city to city and find the Christians so that he could bring them to law and that he could persecute them. And then Saul begins to tell his story a little later in Acts chapter 26 and verse 12. And he says, one day I was on the way to Damascus because there I knew there was a cohort of Christians. And I was going to find that cell of Christians there in Damascus. And I was going to persecute them in the way that we had crucified Jesus and stoned Stephen. And on the way while he was there, this bright light from heaven started shining and it blinded him, and it knocked him to the ground, and the voice from heaven spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you? And the voice from heaven said, I am the Lord, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But now get up, because from now on, rather than being a persecutor of the church, you're going to be the preacher of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world, to bring people out of the story of darkness and into the story of light, out of the story of death and into the story of resurrection. And from that moment, the one who was executor of Christians became the leader of Christians. You remember several years ago, we had those things called cardboard testimony meetings? How many of you have ever been to one of those? Seen one of those? A group of people walk on the platform, and they're just holding a piece of cardboard about this size. And on one side, it tells the before of their life, and then they flip it, and on the other side, it tells the after they met Jesus story of their life. I remember being in one of those and a line of people walked across, and the first person was holding a sign that said, Lost and Suicidal. She flipped that cardboard, and it said, Found and Serving Others. The next person, involved in an affair, flipped it over, committed to my wife. The next person, greedy consumer, flipped it over, joyful giver. The next person, bitter, flipped it over, forgiven and forgiving. The next person, drunk every weekend, <laughs> they flipped it over. Teenage Sunday school teacher. The last one, sitting in the pew, they flipped it over, serving on the front line. It's almost as if Saul could have been in that line, and he could have held up a sign that said, trying to kill Christianity, and he flipped it over, and it said, living in the power of, of the resurrected Jesus. In religious language, we'd say that Paul was evangelized that day on the road to Damascus. I love that word evangelized. My favorite definition of the word evangelism is telling somebody into a better story than the one they're living in. Telling them into a better story. I remember the day that Denise and I were in Chicago in a restaurant, and we were with a friend of ours, someone that we had invested our lives in quite deeply. And she was telling us the story of her life since college. And there was a marriage, and there were broken promises, and there was a child, and there was job loss, and there was poverty, and now there was divorce, and there was disease. And, and it was all of these things that had happened to her were, were horrible. They were not fair. 
her, her life was not going well. And she began to try to describe for me the pain that she was in. And she said to me, you don't know what it's like to have loved so deeply and then have someone inflict this level of pain on you. And I remembered looking across the table at our friend and saying to her, no, I don't fully know and understand the emotion of your story, but I do know what you call it. And she said, what? And I said, what's being done to you? I, I know what you call that. And she said, what? And I said, you call it crucifixion. And I know someone who does understand what that is like. And beginning in that moment, I started talking to her about the Christ who came with nothing but love. And we nailed him to a cross. And we responded to his love with horrific pain. And I told her all the way to that until I got to the point where Jesus died. And I said to her, you feel like dying right now. In some ways, it would be a relief from the pain that you're in. Big tears in her eyes. And I said, but let me tell you something. The death of Jesus is not the end of his story. For three days later, God raised this same Jesus from the dead. And that is the only power that I know that can come into your story where it is right now and bring you from death to resurrection, from darkness to life, from pain to healing, from bitterness to forgiveness. I know of no other power that can do that for you and in you and through you and help you. What begins as a tragedy can end up as one of the greatest stories ever told, the story of God, because it is a story that ends in resurrection like no other story can. Back to Goldilocks here. Let's pick up here where we left off. Just then, the room filled with a loud booming noise that was either a passing truck or a dinosaur gloating. <laughs> a few more minutes and she'll be asleep. Delicious chocolate-filled little girl bonbons are yummier when they're rested. And even a little girl who never listens to anything or anyone had to hear that. Goldilocks took a minute to stop and think, which was longer than she was used to stopping and thinking. Hey, she told herself, this isn't some bear's house. This is some dinosaur's house. And say what you like about Goldilocks, but she was no fool. As quickly as she could, she ran to the back door and got out of there. Just then, a loud plane flew by, which sounded pretty much like a trio of dinosaurs yelling, Now! or Charge! or the Norwegian expression for Chewy Bonbon Time. Suddenly, and completely coincidentally, the three dinosaurs rushed through the front door. But they were too late. Goldilocks was gone, and all that was left in the house were three disappointed dinosaurs. The end. And the moral of this story is, if you ever find yourself in the wrong story, leave. That's what we're here for tonight. If you ever find yourself 
living in the wrong story. By the grace of God, you have the capacity to leave that story and step into the story of Jesus that begins to narrate your life in a remarkably different way. I'd like to ask a privilege of you tonight. I'd like to pray with us. And I'd like to pray in a way that allows you to leave parts of your story or all of your story because you know this is not the story that I want to define my life. This is not the story of who I wish to be. This is not the story that I was created to live out. And I would like to pray for you. There may be those of you who have never lived in the story of Jesus, as someone who has lived that place and lived out that story. I wish I could say it's easy. It's not. It's hard sometimes. But it is the most wonderful narrative and story that I have ever known. Because while every other story ends in darkness and death, this one ends in resurrection and life eternal. It is a phenomenal story. It's a story in which the characters you meet are the kind of people that are right here. It's a story in which in your hardest, darkest moments, there is one who has gone through worse than you have, named Jesus, who comes alongside to help you. Right where you are, you can begin walking into the story of Jesus because God has come to this place tonight, and God is among us. I'm going to pray a prayer. I would invite you, if you would like, to say these words quietly to yourself or just pray them right out loud where you are if you would like. But I want to do this as a gift of God to all of us on this night. Can we bow together and pray? Let's pray. Dear God, on behalf of all of my friends here tonight, I confess that we wish to live in your story. That we wish to walk away from the darkness and the rejection, from the addictions and the evils, from the twistedness of a world, of a culture, from all of the kinds of things that debilitate the very life that is in us. On this night, we lay those down at this pause in our story. And we turn the page. We turn a page of confession saying that everything you have said and seen about us is true because you do not lie to us nor do you sugarcoat the lives that we've lived. You speak the truth to us in love. And for the first time in our life, we can stand before you knowing that we are known and loved. And in this moment, as we confess our sin, we open ourselves to the life of Jesus Christ pouring as a gift into our story, into our trouble, our darkness, or whatever. We open ourselves to that. And while the pages that follow are pages that are blank today, we desire more than anything else to write the rest of our narrative under your Lordship 
in friendship with you, under your guidance, with your power, engaged in your mission. And we long, we long to live out our lives until that day that our eyelids are shut and this dust becomes dust. And we then awake and await and sleep in Christ until that moment that you call us to resurrection, even as your son Jesus was resurrected, that we might live forever and ever in the fullness of your glorious creation. So here we are on this night, and there is a yearning in our hearts that our story would be lived in your story and that we might be told into a better story than the one we're living. Meet us where we are and help us as we live out your life. We offer this prayer humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen.